to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine here with Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? And today we actually get to talk about a Leafs win, Lebda. But before we do that, I think the most important thing we do have to talk about is the... Uh, Speaking of the Chicago Blackhawks, the lowly, lowly Chicago Blackhawks, who are still winless on the season, they are losing even harder off the ice with with the allegations and and the full confirmed report that came out over recent days. And man, is Jonathan Taves just digging a bigger hole with his comments after the game. So first off, um, Taves and Kane were put on the COVID protocol list today and Taves came off shortly before the game. A lot of people speculating that maybe he was just doing that to avoid the pregame media, which is an absolute coward mood. He's move. He's the opposite of a captain with that. Uh, and then he went and further embarrassed himself after the game with his comments uh, when he talked about Kyle Beach, aka John Doe, the guy who was actually assaulted by by Mister Aldrich of the of the Blackhawks. He said, "Listen, at the end of the day, I don't wish to exonerate myself in this situation by saying I didn't know." But the truth is I had not heard about it until training camp the next year. So he's basically pushing any responsibility away, saying he didn't do anything, even though the next year it was confirmed that teammates were harassing him about it, asking Kyle Beach if he missed his boyfriend, things like that. So clearly he didn't step up in any way, shape, or form, even if he is telling the truth and uh, he didn't know until then. It's pretty pathetic that he was he was letting you know his, his teammates abuse a fellow teammate like that. That's pretty horrible captaincy if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, this whole situation is absolutely disgusting. Um, I feel really bad for Kyle Beach. We all, or most of us know, I know you and I, you know, we played hockey as kids and we kind of know that little bit of a culture surrounding a hockey room. And it's one of those things where it's just time and time again, the NHL just shows their, shows their true kind of, I don't know, feeling. Shows their ass. Let's just be honest. They show their ass constantly. About how all they care about is just trying to to bury and deflect and not take ownership for the absolute disgusting culture that is created in these dressing rooms and that is created by these NHL teams um and that's how stuff like this happens and again like i i feel i don't even know if feeling bad for Kyle Beach is the right way to describe it but it's just horrific that a young hockey player with so much promise goes in and that's what he's greeted with the organization and you know it didn't didn't feel supported at the time, and now everything you know comes out, and this is how the NHL decides to deal with it, um, and this is how Jonathan Taze decides to deal with it, and this is how Joe Quenville decides to deal with it. All these people just deflecting responsibility, no one taking responsibility for actions, no one realizing that they messed up a young man's life in this type of way. Like it's just disgusting, and we we talked about it, you know, last year with a bunch of topics, and we had it, we had a podcast about it, like. The NHL is just slowly, slowly killing itself with all this stuff. And, you know, we we talk about the sport and we spend so much time about the sport because we do like the sport. But the culture surrounding the sport at this point is just, it, it, again, it's just becoming too much. It's just absolutely disgusting. So, yeah, like, I don't know. There's not, you know, too much else to kind of dig into on our point other than, you know, this is disgusting. 
We absolutely condemn what the Chicago Blackhawks have done to cover this up. And to an extent, we condemn what the NHL is doing right now to kind of handle themselves. Like, how does Kevin Day off? How does Mark Bergevin? How does Joe Quenville still, they all still have jobs. Like, the NHL needs to, you know, kind of step up. Step up. It's going to look a really, little bit reactionary at this point because of what's going on in, tw- in the Twitter world and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's time to end this kind of bullshit around the the hockey world and let's uh let's make hockey an actually inclusive sport and let's try and grow hockey to those who you know maybe feel excluded from it in the past and you know it's really time for the nhl to kind of stop showing their full ass and start actually doing something about the problems that um the sport and the culture around it has created yeah and that that's one thing that's so crazy is is that at the end of the day it all comes down to they want to win Joel Quenville, his whole thing was that he pushed it under the rug because it was the cup finals and he didn't want to disrupt the team chemistry, even though it was a video coach. It wasn't a player. It wasn't anything like that. So it makes you wonder what they're covering up. If it were a star player, would we have, would it ever have come out? It's, it's absolutely disgusting. And the NHL should be ashamed. And the fact that, like, if you ask me, Stan Bowman, the only reason he is the one that resigned is one, because he's still with the Blackhawks and two, because he absolutely sucks at his job. Joel Quenville gets to keep his job, even though he was equally complicit in this whole thing. But what is he? He's six and zero with the with the Panthers. He's in Gary Bettman's precious Sun Belt, helping his you know his poverty Southern franchises do well. So Gary Bettman can't have that. So what? Joel Quenville gets to stay on the bench and coach tonight. The NHL tweets about Florida winning, and it just shows there's no real remorse here. They're just doing it because they got caught, and we saw this throughout the whole process as it was as. Basically, outside of Rick Westhead and, and Katie Strang and a few details from some other reporters, we didn't see any of the major reporters talk about this. Why? Because they don't want to ruin their connections within the game. They don't want to disrupt the hockey men. It's it's disgusting. And it, like this whole thing, if if Joel Quenville, first of all, if even if he does, I'm not going to be confident because the NHL didn't do it right away. But if he's not suspended, if he's not kicked off of the Florida Panthers, the NHL ha- has completely shown that they do not care about this and they're not doing anything to change it. They just got caught and they're sweeping it under the rug. And we see it time and time again. The NHL, you know, it, it truly does not care about any issues that get brought up with it. The only thing the NHL cares about is getting caught and having a bad public image. Image. They're not doing anything behind the scenes to try and change this hockey culture, whether it be, you know, this is an example or even with the um, – the Black Lives Matter movement last year and, and and everything surrounding that. Like the NHL just does not care. It's a bunch of old hockey men doing what they've done for the longest time. The only thing they care about is potentially losing money because they look bad and people are like, well, I'm not going to watch hockey because they're, you know, this, this, and this with hockey culture. Like that, it's, it's so embarrassing at this point and we, we can keep going on and on about it. Um, because it is an important topic and it is, you know, whether we want to call ourselves hockey media or not, I mean, it's just two dudes in a basement doing a podcast, but at the same thing, like that we still have a responsibility to talk about this and to, you know, try and at least be a little bit part of and a very small part of the, the counterculture and people trying to, 
um, enact change within the hockey community and within the hockey market. So I, I think this is a very, you know, important thing to call out the NHL. And you know what? Maybe maybe it means we never, ever progress and be able to work on a network or be able to work, work in the league. Not that that's going to happen anyways. But it's something that, you know, I know me and Sats feel very strongly about that. You know, we can't stand here and be quiet about these issues and push them under the rug because that's how – you know, people's lives gets ruined and that's how you become just complacent with everything. So like I said, again, it's very important. It's very serious, something we are condemning and it's something that we're, you know, actively looking to try and change within the hockey kind of culture and narrative around hockey. Exactly. And I, I have not read the whole 105 page document. There are people who are a lot more educated than us on this issue. So I'm definitely glad that we covered it, but again, we, we will, kind of leave the the supreme details and, and the analyzation to, to those people, but it is really important to talk about. Now, moving on to the game itself, like I said earlier on, the Leafs, they finally won Lebda, and they got goals from Tavares, who was able to break his slump tonight. David Kampf with his first as a Leaf, and Willie with his first goal in a while. I know they uh, they didn't play their best tonight. They only had 33% on the deserve to win meter They were out Expected gold 2.5 to 1.7 by the Blackhawks. But it's weird. You look at the, the shot chart and the Leafs absolutely dominated in shots. They had 39 shots to the Blackhawks 29. But if, if you just look at the, uh, the heat map, the Blackhawks, a lot more of their shots came from those dangerous slot areas closer to the net. They had breakaways. They had chances like that. Jack Campbell, I thought was incredible tonight. While the Leafs kind of were kept to the outside for the most part. Yeah, I mean, congrats on the Leafs for winning. Like, it's a good thing. It's definitely a step in the right direction, but I don't think we, either of us, can sit here and say that this is the Leafs we expected to come out and start the season. Like, was it a terrible game? Mm. Like, uh, I just, I look at this team, especially the start. Like, the start, again, is just so embarrassing. Like, (laughs) they talk so much about the other game. We're not worried yet. We're not worried yet. And it's like, yep, yeah, it's very obvious you guys aren't worried about your play because you come out and play like that. And we said it on the uh, on the podcast uh, the other night with Dirtbag. Like, they almost, every time, they teach themselves their own lesson and then they forget it by the next game. They start off terrible and they go through it and then they start to pick up a little bit. And then by the third period, they start to, you know, getting more chances and start to look like an actually good team. But by that point, you know, either the game's out of hand or it's a little too late or you run into a hot goalie and it's just not enough. So I don't know, like it's uh, I don't want to sound too Debbie Downer because, hey, it's a Leafs win. And at the end of the day, that's really all that matters right now. But I don't know. It's still not the um, the promised land that I was kind of hoping for with this team. No, I agree. And they, like, this did nothing to alleviate my concerns about the way they've been playing. They, like I said, they got, they just got outplayed and they, they showed once again, they did not show up to the rink ready to play. And I don't know what it's going to take for these guys to finally step up and, and show up hungry and ready to go right, right at the puck drop. But at the, at the end, the end of the day, I can only hope that maybe this recent slump was because they're in their heads and this can kind of help them to crawl out of that hole. So that's, that's kind of my hope because if you look at them up until that San Jose Sharks game, they were consistently outplaying their opponents, albeit pretty shitty opponents, but they they have been better than they even showed tonight multiple times this year. We need to hope that they can continue it going forward. But you just, you look at the opposition on the other side tonight, you have a Chicago Blackhawks team. That's like we said, winless without Patrick Kane, because he, 
Maybe he actually is in COVID protocol. I don't really know. But he wasn't playing. And this team had not led at all this year. And the Leafs trailed them for 80% of the game. I'm pretty sure the Blackhawks led from about two minutes in till about seven minutes left. So the Leafs were chasing the game all night. And yeah, I'm really happy that we were able to get the win. I'm really happy to see Marner and Tavares connect. Maybe maybe there are a few things we can build on tonight, Levda. And that's what this team internally needs to do is take this and be like, okay, slow start to the season. We won our last game. We're going to focus on that. We're still going to try and improve, but we're going to we're gonna move on and we're going to take the positives from it. And we're going to go, you know, into our next game and actually try and dominate from there. Now, if you're um, on the outside looking in again, like we said, like it's still very concerning. But yeah, you hope goals from Tavares, you hope a couple points from Marner, you hope those guys just start, you know, we say it all the time, hockey players are dumb. Confidence actually means something with hockey players, whether we like to believe it or not, it does have an effect. So hopefully they can get some confidence going, keep that growing. Nice to see William Nylander again, you know, finish with a game-winning goal. You know, he was a little bit quiet for a couple games. It doesn't help that none of his teammates decided to show up in any of those games either, but it is what it is. So hopefully, yeah, these guys can start rolling. It's still kind of, you know, do anything time for Austin Matthews, like show up and actually look like you're, you know, an $11 million hockey player instead of Pierre Angle outplaying you night in and night out. But hopefully he uh, he can uh, start to get there. Some other guys get going hot as well. Yeah, he had, I mean, his assist tonight wasn't really a, a well or Like it was a three-on-three assist. You can't really take too much into that but I guess seeing that Will Matthews to Willie connection hopefully like I said my biggest hope to take out of this is just that they can gain some confidence they played Detroit on Saturday another team that's not really you know they've off to a decent start but they're not a really hard team you got to get these points and and that's honestly it's, it's sad to say at this point but I'm just glad we got the points too because this moves us to within a game of 500 you, you know you, you lose tonight you fall to two and five the division luckily hasn't been too good, but but you can make make a hole that's really big for yourself. And yeah, it was looking really bleak. And just especially with all the power plays that they're wasted, I still, I this is what makes me continue to doubt this team is because this power play, this first unit, I like I would say in the last 40, maybe 50 games, if you include the playoffs, they have maybe one power play goal that's from this first unit. And that is along with Jake Muzzin, that those are my two biggest concerns with them right now. Yeah, we've we've talked about Jake Muzzin a bunch, so we'll just quickly, you know, glance over that. I think he's still clearly playing hurt, but I'm starting to get very, very concerned about him and I mean Justin Hall to an extent too, but most of that's just because Jake Muzzin hasn't been good. But yeah, like I I tweeted out early today, screw it, take Matthews and Marner off PP one, Spets and Nylander, Sandy and Tavares and Bunting. I genuinely believe at this point in time that will be a more successful power play unit than the one right now. Our power play looks the exact same as last year. Like if you watch it, oh Marner was in the slot for a couple times, but it was the same thing. It, it's the exact same power play as last year. I don't know why they think it's just going to also magically click and work, but. It is ugly, ugly once again, and we saw it in the playoffs last year. If they had a good power play, they probably don't lose to Montreal, even you know with all the other things that happened in that. They series. probably like, sweep them. Yeah, like it's. Uh, I don't. This is where I get really, really frustrated with Sheldon Keefe. Is I don't understand what he's waiting for. 
it's the same thing as last year. You brought in a new coach and it looks the exact same. Change something up. Do something drastic. Like get, get these guys going, like show a little bit of desperation in your coaching. Like the players need to show desperation. We talked about it all last podcast, like where they need to start outworking people and start to, you know, take over games with their hard work as opposed to just relying on their natural skill. And it's time for the Leafs coaching staff to do the same thing. Start outworking people, start outworking your own players, start finding creative solutions to this. If it means you have to take Matthews and Marner off a power play, it shouldn't, but if you have to do that for a little bit, maybe to try and get them a spark, or even if that you need to just spark them, you know, again, because they're not playing well in all facets of the game. Like, you need to start getting a little bit desperate because we know what the Toronto media market is like, and I'm sure Sheldon Keefe maybe thinks he's pretty comfortable because his good buddy Kyle Dubas is, uh, is the GM. But, I mean, those two could get fired in a real, real hurry if the Leafs, you know, don't really actually turn around from this game. It's just so flabbergasting, this power play. They are married to the one-three-one. The only thing they really changed this year was let's put Marner in the bumper in the spot where a great shot would help, which he doesn't clearly have, and putting Elander on the half wall. And it looked like looked like garbage for the same for the whole year. It just makes no sense that they keep going back to this. I I think like I was listening to the MLHS podcast the other day and they were talking about why are we married to this same formula? Like maybe you move guys around. They, they talked about how back in the day we used to have Kyle Wellwood standing kind of at the goal mouth on the outside. And he had two options. He could either pass it up into the slot where Matthews is, where back in the day, Matt Sundin was, or he could go cross crease. You're, you're, that power play had options the, the other team basically had to pick their poison and we would exploit the other one but with this power play the whole thing is let's get the puck to Matthews on the half wall let's have him charge in like a bull and rip a shot well guess what the second it comes to Matthews there's two or maybe even three penalty killers on him every time and then that leaves space for who Mitch Marner what's Mitch Marner gonna do just like tonight launch a couple of wiffle balls right at the goalie that don't threaten at all so I agree that yeah move move some people off of the power play at least take Marner off tell him yo go run power play too but even then, I don't know if I want them to disrupt the chemistry there because power play two, they're running the same system and they're actually able to do it. So, so to me, it's, it's a matter of, is this mental? Is it coaching? Is it some combination of the both? But whatever it is, they need to figure it out and ASAP because it, it, it is unprecedented. Not, not even for a team of this talent, even a team like, like last year's Buffalo Sabres would be disappointed with a power play this bad. Yeah, it's it, to me it just looks like the coaching staff just trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. They're just they're just like you said, they're glued to this idea and they refuse to change. I, I like I don't get it. We talked about it a bunch last year too. Like move someone down below the ice and run your like quarter, but like have Mitch Marner below the ice on either side, and that's where you get the puck to instead of having it at the point all the time. Most dangerous passes come from behind the net. Ask any goalie what's the hardest shot to save. It's one coming from behind the net because at some point you're blind. Like, it, it, there's so many options out there. And they're just, again, like we said, like, I don't want to get too repetitive, but they're just pounding the same thing. It looks the exact same as last year. Like, why'd you move Manny Malhotra off the power play if you're just going to do the exact same thing? So, yeah, like I said, this is where a lot of my frustration comes from Sheldon Keefe. Um, and yeah, he's, I just, he's shown an inability to adjust. He even showed yeah. it in the Montreal series. As soon as Montreal kind of changed up their strategy and punched back after game four, he had nothing to do it. Montreal was able to keep us out of those dangerous zones for the rest of the series. So it does concern me. He, he might have an, a good initial first punch strategy, but as soon as the other coach makes an adjustment, it's pretty much over for Keith. 
Yeah, it's like he just is constant. It looks like he's just constantly getting out coached on his um, on his power play. Teams adjust, and they're like, "Well, prove prove it, Mitch Marner. Prove it, Morgan Riley. Prove it, John Tavares. Prove it, William Nylander. That we actually have to be genuinely, genuinely concerned about all of you. Because until you actually prove it, and like those guys start popping in goals left and right on the power play, teams are just going to key in on Austin Matthews. And Austin Matthews is probably one of like two or three players in the league." where you could just have a complete strategy built around him. But until the other guys, you know, step up, and I don't think it's them personally needing to step up. I think it's the coaching staff needing to find something that works to, you know, get a little bit of that attention away from Matthews. And then maybe you can go back to it. But until then, like, yeah, start to get a little desperate. I'm, I'm getting so sick and tired of talking about the power play on this podcast. It, we sound like a broken record, but it's historically bad. Like, it's just... I, yeah, I exactly. Would, and nothing's I, changed. <laughs> it, it's honestly mind-boggling. Like, last year, we were pulling our hair out in the playoffs, calling for Willie Nylander to be in the Marner slot on the power play. And when did they do it? They did it down two goals with, like, seven minutes left in Game 7, and it looked amazing. for Like, because Montreal's like, oh, sh- crap, they actually changed their strategy. We have to do something different. But, yeah, we just keep sticking with the same thing. Whether you're, you're just – you're just moving deck chairs on the Titanic. If you're just doing this, like moving, you're just rotating uh, Marner and Nylander, like, and still the other team still knows the whole point of the power play is to get that pass to Austin Matthews to try to rip contested wrist shots. And it's like, if you, if there's only one weapon to beat you, you're never, you're never going to succeed. Yeah. Think of how easy it is. If you know, a guy's just going to punch you just straight jabs the whole time. It's so easy to dodge. And that's what the least power play is. It's just the other team just, you know, boom, one step aside. Oh, yep. Nope. You're not going to punch us. Nope. Yep. Yep. And it, it's so easy to defend. Like, honestly, a P like a peewee coach, not even a good peewee coach, not even elite peewee coach, like a house league peewee coach could figure out how to defend against this Leafs power play, at least from a coaching standpoint. So yeah. And we're seeing it in other aspects of the game too. Like, we talked about, you know, Jake Muzzin again. We're going to sound like a broken ref- record, but nothing's changed. Like, him and Hall have been disgusting to start the year. Why are you not trying to change something there? Why are you not trying to actively improve your hockey team right now? And then he comes out after one of the most embarrassing losses possible after last game and says, oh, we, we're doing some good things. You know, I'm not panicking yet. And it's like, well, we actually kind of need you to panic a little bit, Sheldon Keefe. Maybe don't show that you're actively panicking and maybe don't say that you're actively panicking, but start coaching like it and start getting, you know, or start trying to change different things up and move things away. Like it's very obvious that Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall is not working right now, whether it's because Jake Muzzin's hurt, whether it's because both of them are just having a bad start to the season or whether it's because both of them are older and starting to decline, it's not working. Change something up. And I think part of it maybe is the reluctance to give Rasmus Sandin or Travis Dermott more ice time. But those two have been pretty, pretty good to start off the season. So I don't know. Again, it's a lot of just like, like, what are we paying you to do, Sheldon Keefe? Because you're just doing the exact same things you've been doing the whole time, even though it clearly has not worked up until this point. I don't know if it's arrogance or stupidity. I don't know if he's just so arrogant that he thinks, you know what, this worked before, it's going to work again, I'm a genius, or if he just doesn't have the answers. But yeah, I would love to see them try something different on defense. I think I saw suggested pairings of putting Muzzin with Brody, give them all the toughest minutes, then you could do Riley and uh, Dermott, and then Sandine and Hall. Like, why not give that a shot? Maybe Justin Hall, if you put him with a dynamic partner, 
like Rasmus Sandin, who can move the puck out for him, and they're facing easier competition, he's not going to get blown by so much because that's that seems to be a problem with him. He's just kind of getting beaten to pucks. He's losing battles, and he, he's just getting danced. Like, maybe if he's facing third and fourth liners, it'll be a little bit easier for him. And it would just – we said this before the season, that the whole thing we wanted – assuming the team was going to be better than it has been, but this season was 82 practices and we wanted to see different line combinations up front. We wanted to see different defensive mechanic like combinations. It's just, I'm, I'm glad he tried Nylander and Matthews and Tavares Marner. And I hope he keeps trying that and to see what we really have in it, but do the same thing on the defense. Why does everything have to be written on the tablet? Like the Ten Commandments? Now, before we get into the stars of the game, I do I do want to come up with a bit of a positive point, and it's something very relatable, and that was just, it was nice to see how excited they got when, when Nylander scored that winner. I know it's a goal, you're going to be excited, but just, it, it's nice to see that these guys really do care. Maybe, maybe this will be a driving force and give them some confidence, maybe that's what's been ailing them, but it's at least nice to see that they give a shit, because man... The way they played in the first half of that game and in the previous two games, I wasn't really convinced. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit sad that they have to celebrate that hard after winning in overtime against the worst team in the NHL, but it's the situation that they put themselves in. So it is, you know, nice to see at least a little life out of the group. Definitely a big old, you know, kind of uh, monkey off their back, if you will, or a lot of pressure, you know, being relieved out of the uh, the dressing room, hopefully. And hopefully, like you said, you know, hockey players are dumb. And hopefully this gives them some confidence to go into, you know, one of the best teams in the NHL, uh, Detroit, and absolutely knock them out of their burn. So, um, yeah, with I, that being s- – no, go ahead. I, I will tell you, I uh, my dad and I were, like, right after the goal was scored, we were jumping and screaming like little schoolgirls, and then we just looked at each other we're like – we just jumped that hard to beat the worst team in the league in overtime. Like that's, that's what it's come to. Yeah. Desperate, desperate times in Leafland right now. Um, but yeah, moving on to the stars of the game, I guess I'll, uh, I'll let you go first there, Sats. I'm feeling, uh, feeling mighty generous tonight. Oh, you're too kind, sir. And I'm going to go with the obvious choice. And that is Mr. David Comp. We ain't got the same strength. Oh, no. The man had a goal, the the game-tying goal, an absolutely crucial goal, kind of a nice spinning backhand, kind of a knuckle puck type of goal that he he seemed to score uh, a little bit in the preseason as well. So it was nice to see him get his first as a Leaf. And, I mean, he played well tonight. He, he only played 12 and a half minutes, but at five on five, he was, he was third on the team and expected goals with, no, second, sorry, with 70%. So him and Kasha looked really good tonight. They were... Probably the best line as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I think definitely they were the best line. And I think, honestly, David Kampf was probably our best player tonight, which um, tells you everything you need to know about tonight. But, I mean, we got the win. Uh, congrats to David Kampf on his first goal as a Leaf. Definitely could see how much that meant to him. And it was a nice uh, nice moment to do that in Chicago for him. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think considering how, you know, they played tonight. I think the only other option tonight is uh, Jack Campbell. Campbell's jockey suit. Uh, Nine thirty-one save percentage, twenty-seven out of twenty-nine saves, and some real, real big ones um, throughout it all. And again, we say it once again: like this is Jack Campbell's third or fourth star this year. He's been absolutely fantastic. 
once again answering a lot of question marks kind of surrounding himself and Leafs goaltending as a whole. So it's nice to see Jack Campbell have another uh, another really good game for this Leafs team. Yeah, we've needed him to too much this year. I mean, he had that one kind of crappy game against uh, Pittsburgh. But other than that, certainly nothing you could pin on him throughout the year. He's been really good. So it was one of our questions coming into the year. Uh, little did we know it would be like 17th on the list about eight games into the season. But it is good to see that he's answering it well. So with that said, Lebda, that is uh, that is about it for me here. What about you? Yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, please make sure to go follow us on Twitter at Buds All Day Cast. Keep up to date with everything, um, the Buds All Day podcast and everything going on in Leafland. And thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your evening.